When you have the right recon process in place, it's easy to stay ahead of the game. Put your recon on cruise control today with iRecon, the solution built directly in Viato that obliterates recon inefficiencies and accelerates your used car sales. Visit viato.com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, we're going to have to wait even longer for guidance on new EV tax credits. Magna agrees to buy Vionir Active Safety for $1.5 billion. And the U.S. reports a fifth Takata airbag death in 2022. Plus, we continue our look back on the biggest auto industry stories and trends this past year with a conversation about Ford in 2022. As well as they did with Lightning, the launch ramp with that, they've had some struggles on some other key products. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The U.S. Treasury Department says it will issue proposed guidance for the Inflation Reduction Act's critical mineral and battery component requirements in March. That effectively delays those eligibility restrictions in the $7,500 tax credit for new electric vehicles. The new law required Treasury to issue proposed guidance by December 31. Instead, the department says it will release information before the end of the year that will outline only the anticipated direction of battery sourcing rules. Treasury says the information will help automakers, quote, prepare to be able to identify vehicles eligible for the tax credit when the new requirements go into effect. Automakers have been asking the Biden administration for clarity on key provisions in the tax credit and urging as much flexibility as possible as they hurry to localize supply chains for EV batteries and critical minerals. Canadian supplier Magna International says it has agreed to buy Vionir Active Safety from investment firm SSW Partners. It plans to pay more than $1.5 billion in cash to bolster its portfolio of automated driving technology. The deal is expected to add to Magna's sensor and full systems capabilities, including radar, camera, and driver monitoring. And it could add 2,200 engineers for systems, software, and sensor development. Vionir Active Safety sales are projected to be more than a billion dollars in 2022 and increased to almost $2 billion in 2024. Magna says it expects to close the deal around the middle of 2023. Wells Fargo has agreed to a $3.7 billion settlement with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to settle a variety of allegations of mistreating customers. It includes a $1.7 billion fine, the biggest in CFPB history. The agreement includes more than $2 billion in redress to consumers. In a statement today, the CFPB cited widespread mismanagement of auto loans, mortgages, and deposit accounts. According to its website, Wells Fargo accounts for about $25 billion in annual auto loan financing through 3,000 dealerships. And U.S. auto safety regulators have confirmed a fifth Takata airbag inflator crash death in 2022. They're reiterating urgent calls for owners to get repairs. Over the last decade, more than 67 million Takata airbag inflators have been recalled in the United States and more than 100 million worldwide. It's the largest auto safety callback in history. The airbags can explode, unleashing metal shrapnel inside cars and trucks. The problem is linked to more than 30 deaths worldwide, including 24 U.S. deaths and hundreds of injuries in various automakers' vehicles since 2009. 
The latest death was in a 2010 Chrysler 300. Stellantis says in July, the owner loaned the vehicle to a family member who was subsequently killed in a crash when the driver's side airbag ruptured on deployment. The Do Not Drive warning covers Chrysler 300, Dodge Magnum, Challenger, and Charger from the 2005 through 2010 model years that have not been repaired. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, does pushing back the date of the proposed guidance for the Inflation Reduction Act hurt or help a company like Hyundai? We're still kind of sorting through what all uh, is happening and isn't happening. It looks to me like it's a little bit of a push and pull. It's it's not really going to help Hyundai where they want it the most, uh, which is to sell those Ionic 5 crossovers that are kind of really aimed at the heart of the market. But it might help them out uh, with the Genesis GV70 electric version that is just starting to roll off the lines in Montgomery, Alabama for the versions of that that are uh, priced uh, within the restrictions. And if the buyers are not uh, making too much money, then those should qualify for $7,500, which is a pretty significant discount on them. Got it. Coming up, a look back on the year that Ford had in 2022. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Warning, your reconditioning process needs attention. Unexpected shortages and delays can throw off even the most routine recon work, slowing your sales and eating into your bottom line. Identify and fix reconditioning inefficiencies to turn your inventory faster with iRecon. This reconditioning solution, built directly in V-Auto, keeps you in control of your service department and puts your recon on cruise control. With real-time alerts and reports, iRecon helps you get ahead of potential issues before they become costly problems. You'll be able to track who's doing the work and how long tasks are taking, see the status of any vehicle in an instant, and make adjustments where needed. And it's all done in an easy-to-use dashboard you can customize to fit your workflow. Obliterate inefficiencies and accelerate your used car sales only with iRecon. Run your personal recon diagnostics with us today and put your process on cruise control. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. 2022 was a year of restructuring and redefinition for Ford. CEO Jim Farley made a pivotal decision this year to split the automaker into two units, one for its traditional internal combustion vehicles and another for its emerging electric vehicle business. And then dealers had to decide whether to sign up to sell those EVs in the future. Today, we continue to look back at auto industry stories and trends in 2022 with a conversation about Ford's ups and downs this year. I spoke with Automotive News Ford reporter Michael Martinez. Here's our conversation. Michael Martinez, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me. All right. So this is part of our year in review series. Of course, we have Michael Martinez, so we're talking about Ford. Of course, we could be talking about the UAW, but we're talking about Ford. So uh, Ford, as it has tried to position itself for the transition of the industry to EVs, a little different strategy than GM or Volkswagen, uh, but making a lot of moves 
toward its future. Where is Ford on their EV plan? Well, they're just starting off, and 2022 was a big year. Going into 23, it's a really critical year for the company. Their strategy compared to the others is to really rely on few nameplates, but to really try to maximize the production and the profitability of those few nameplates. And I'm talking, obviously, Mustang Mach-E, F-150 Lightning, and the E-Transit. They were able to get those vehicles out because most of them aren't ground up new vehicles. They are existing gas products with a battery <laughs> built around the floor, basically. And they were able to maximize the parts uh, and supplier contracts they have for the gas version to help in terms of the launch and get those out quickly and efficiently. The launches for those vehicles were probably smoother than many of the other launches the companies had. We'll, we'll touch on that, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, but that's been their strategy, to get out first, to get out ahead of some of the competition in some cases and really maximize those products. Also built around nameplates that people know. Obviously, F-Series is very well-known, very top-selling nameplate for them. Mustang, even the Transit in commercial circles is very well-known, very hot-selling product. So to have electric versions of those with the same name, Ford thinks they can win over maybe some skeptical EV people that are on the fence. Well, it certainly has worked as a media strategy. I mean, that F-150 Lightning, making a third of them as, you know, fleet vehicles at a pretty affordable, you know, realistic price point made really changed the national conversation around EVs and what they can be, how realistic and useful they can be, even though it wouldn't be realistic for Ford to sell 700000 at, uh, you know, $50,000 a piece because they'd lose, they'd go out of business. But um no, it's uh, it it has really been an an interesting strategy. Instead of creating new nameplates, building on their most popular and iconic names. Exactly, and the F one hundred and fifty Lightning really had to shoulder a lot of responsibility. You know, it's not sort of the green compliance cars like the C Max or, mm-hmm. or the Priuses of old. It's not the sexy sport car like mm-hmm. Tesla has. It's a truck. It's meant to do truck like things. It's meant to tow and haul at least to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It's meant to help you at the work site, and it's really meant to appeal to a demographic and a large segment of the population that may not otherwise think or consider an EV. But now that they can see what it can do, and in many cases what it can do beyond what the gas truck can do, hey, maybe they might buy EVs now. Plus we know, even though it is a different, a very different powertrain and maybe there's some politics tied to that, you know, there are pickup truck buyers who are glad to pay just about any price you could ask. Uh, you know, the market and Ford really led the way through the past decade going up and up market with, you know, King Ranch and Platinum and all these new levels to take the price beyond 60, beyond $80,000. So, you know, if there's going to be a $100,000 Hummer, by gosh, there ought to be a $100,000 Ford pickup too. Exactly. And you've seen that you referenced the low starting price that they came out with. Well, now that price has been bumped up twice already. Largely Ford says it's out of their hands. It's supplier related costs have increased more than expected. But now that vehicle starts around in the mid fifties mm-hmm. and people are more than willing to pay for it. Yeah. It's a, it's a premium vehicle. And you know, that crossover between luxury and pickups has just been growing and growing and EVs are another form of luxury in a lot of cases. I mean, it kind of gets into the, the Tesla argument, but I, I think for a lot of consumers, there's luxury in that there's value to it. Definitely. So one of the more controversial parts of Ford's positioning itself for EVs there was the strategic sort of internal division of the gas business, gas burning vehicle business from the electric vehicle business, and then implementing it at the retail level. 
which really takes it to another level. You know, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there was sort of some pressure from the from Wall Street for Ford to consider breaking out its EVs, make it a separate business, or make gas vehicles into an old co that would, would dwindle away. And I think Jim Farley saw some of the challenges that could go with that, who owns what and how do you manage all that. And so instead just made it an internal division, you know, for organizational purposes. Okay, that makes sense. But then to, taking it to the retail level, you can either be a, is it a, Ford, a Ford Blue retailer or a Ford Model E retailer. You can be both, but you're going to have, you have to make a commitment. And just this month we had the, the decision day and, you know, two thirds of the dealers signed up to, to sell EVs, uh, but it not without some hurt feelings. That's right. You're seeing some pushback, some opposition to that plan, mainly based off of what dealers can and can't sell in the future. And I think the dealers that are opposed to it are worried that if they don't opt in, they'll only be allowed to sell gasoline and hybrid vehicles. And they're going to be missing out on those lightning and Maki e-transit and more in the future mm-hmm. type of profits and, and sales. But at a fundamental level, I think Farley is really trying to position forward to win against all its usual competitors on top of all the newish competitors in terms of Tesla and Rivian and Lucid. He sees the traditional dealer model at a bit of a disadvantage to the companies that sell direct to consumer. He says Ford, you know, it's about a 2K disadvantage having to go through a dealer network. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously he can't get rid of that dealer network. I'm sure every <laughs> traditional CEO would love to, but he's trying to get them to evolve, to be a little more Tesla-like, a little more nimble, mm-hmm. but also retain the advantages that a dealer network has in terms of service, mm-hmm. in terms of he's equated it to an Apple genius bar, right? Mm-hmm. To have somebody that a customer can call up right away when they have a problem or need to bring their vehicle in when they have a very important issue that needs to be dealt with right away. So he's trying to take the advantages of what a network can do and make it a little bit faster, get that sort of best of both worlds situation. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that works. Uh, You know, it it certainly has, has potential, but uh, wow, so much, so much yet to prove, especially while they're being, you know, sued over trying to pursue this strategy. Exactly. And they have, you know, this program isn't, supposed to go into effect until January 1st, 2024. So they have a little over a year to maybe make some changes. We've talked with Tim Hovick, their dealer council chairman, and he said, hey, listen, this isn't perfect. It's just a starting blueprint. We can make some adjustments here and there. And I think they will. So back to the internal organizational structure, that really uh, shuffled a lot of positions, uh, led to a lot of churn and and just rearranging of people within the leadership, including uh, Jim Farley himself taking on the role as the head of the Model E division. That's right. Help, tell me about some of the other uh, moves that have been that have made around that. Well, you've seen some longtime Ford leaders and executives, folks like Hao Tai Tang, recently Joy Filatico on the Lincoln side, previously at Ford Credit and on the marketing side. They've left, they've retired. Uh, and you've seen some other sort of rising stars, the Lisa Drake's of the world, the Jim Bombix of the world, take on more responsibility. And again, it depends on, they've sort of split the company here between Blue and Model E, EVs and gas. And Farley's idea is that somebody who has specialized in gas vehicles their entire career may not be well-suited for the type of things we need from them on the EV side. They need to be a little bit quicker. It's way more specialized. 
in terms of the parts they're sourcing, the suppliers they talk to, way different than on the gas side. So he's hoping that if he has their, their gas team, they can focus on what they've done for decades and they can do it well. And if he brings in new people, folks like Doug Field, mm-hmm. on the software EV side, pair them up with the Lisa Drakes of the world, who's procuring a lot of these minerals and, and things you need to go into the EV batteries, he can really make each side specialize and optimize what they're able to do. So you mentioned how Titang's departure, of course, he was over both product and quality. As I think I've said already, I feel like he was spread too thin, uh, having both of those massive responsibilities. Um, Do they have with the new system, do we think they have their quality and launch issues under control? Do we know yet? Well, it doesn't look good. Right. They led the industry in terms of recalls this year. Big time. A lot of black eyes on a lot of very important products, including the Mustang Mach-E, including Bronco. That thing had a lot of issues coming out of the gate. So for as well as they did with Lightning, the launch ramp with that, they've had some struggles on some other key products. They brought in somebody from formerly J.D. Power, Josh Halliburton, to sort of be their qualities are. Now they have Jim Baumbick, who worked on with Model E, at one point, he also worked when Ford transitioned in the pandemic to building PPE and sort of mm. really uh, the entire industrial side mobilized to switch what they were doing at the plant level. Jim led those efforts for Project Apollo. So he's good at mm. sort of leading organizations and pivoting quickly. So I think if they're going to get a handle on it, these are maybe the people that would have a chance. But we've yet to really see much in terms of tangible results they're still struggling right now. well and not a lot of new launches coming since they've made the changes so it is a little the jury's still out you mentioned the bronco and of course it had uh, had many problems but uh the other gasoline vehicle that has really lit it up for ford has been the maverick uh taking that pickup down to a, a smaller scale maybe more like the rangers i grew up with uh, but uh, it's, it has just been a, a runaway hit. If they could make 100,000 more of them, I think they'd sell them all. Exactly. And this is really, with Maverick, the culmination of their decision to kill sedans, which many of us questioned mm-hmm. at the time, questioned how they did it, how they announced it, and the reason why, and how many people would defect to maybe some of the foreign automakers or, or leave the brand entirely. But now they have a reason uh, to you know stay with, with Ford, with the Ford brand, because you have a vehicle that's relatively around the same price, maybe a little bit more. Uh, and it can do so much more than a Fusion or a Focus would be able to do. And uh, the footprint isn't huge. You can have it in the city and not have to worry too much about where to park. And you can get a hybrid, so it's fuel efficient, even though it's a, a pickup of sorts? I, I think really for anybody who questioned what they were doing in terms of vehicle silhouettes, now that we see what they have reinvested that money in and what they offer those customers, I think it quashed a lot of the questions about what Ford was doing there. Yeah, very interesting stuff. With Maverick and Bronco Sport, it gives them some lower entries that are, uh, frankly, much more attractive than the sedans they had been selling. Definitely. Michael Martinez covers Ford for Automotive News. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on Ford, new EV tax incentives, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for another year-end conversation, this time about Stellantis' biggest stories in 2022. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 